Welcome to the Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. Stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Now consider this verse very carefully. I'm not even teaching this verse today. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just using it to set a premise. But, but consider it carefully. Stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. So Christ has made us free in a certain liberty that we must stand fast in. And it says, therefore, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Now I want to draw your attention to two things. Therefore, yoke of bondage. I've told you when you're reading the scriptures and you see the word therefore, you should pause and establish what the word therefore is there for. Whenever you see the word therefore in the scripture, uh, it means there's a premise. There's a preceding premise. There's a preceding context. There's something that has been said on account of which the word therefore is, is showed up. So therefore, you're saying on account of what we just dealt with, do this. Does that make sense? There is therefore now no condemnation. Is in chapter 8 of Romans. Therefore is contained in chapter 7. Chapter 7 is the premise against which chapter 8 now starts with there is therefore now no condemnation. Galatians 5 starts with there is stand fast therefore in the liberty whereby Christ made you free. And then the other phrase is yoke of bondage. What is the yoke of bondage? You must understand what the yoke of bondage is to not be entangled again in it. Does that make sense? You must identify the yoke of bondage and then realize that you were entangled in it and now the liberty in which Christ has made us free enables you to not be entangled in the yoke of bondage anymore on account of something that was there for this reason. And the therefore premise exists in Galatians 4 from verse 21. And it's something we, we know, we've touched about it. The story of two, Isaac and Ishmael being two covenants. Galatians 4.21, put it up quickly. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law. And I'm talking about the law today briefly. Because I can, I can do a 10, 20 session series on the law. I've still not taught covenants and priesthoods, I will. Tell me you who desire to be under the law. Do you not hear the law that you're desiring to be under? Next verse. We're going all the way to 31. For it is written that Abraham had two sons. One by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman. Now what did we see in Galatians 5.1? Yoke of bondage. Therefore. Okay, you know what? Let's try another translation. Give me 
5 and 1 in the NLT. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery. It even goes here, you know, over Sabi and says in slavery to the law. Yeah, to the law, full stop. Slavery to the law. Now where are we in Galatians 4? 22? 23 in the NLT. Galatians 4, 23. No, go back to 22. So you see, the scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife. NLT used the word slavery in Galatians 5, 1. One from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. Next verse. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. So yoke of bondage, bondwoman's son. Yoke of bondage, son of the bondwoman. Yoke of bondage, offspring of Ishmael. As Ishmael is the son of the bondwoman. Why is Ishmael called the son of the bondwoman? Because Ishmael's mother is likened to Mount Sinai, which is where the law was given. So go back to New King James. Now we have established yoke of bondage and bondwoman, right? 424. Which things are symbolic? <laughs> For these are two covenants. These are the, the two covenants. Isaac and Ishmael. Son of the slave, Hagar. And son of the freeborn, Sarah. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to what? So we ought to be careful when we contend for the faith, when we teach and preach the gospel, that we stand fast, therefore, in the liberty for which Christ made us free. The one from Mount Sinai who gives birth to bondage is Hagar, which is Hagar. For this Hagar, who was a woman, Egyptian slave, this Hagar, turns out, is Mount Sinai. Symbolic. In Arabia. And it corresponds to Jerusalem. Arabia is not a place. Arabia is a peninsula. It's a geographic location. Yeah, the huge Arabian peninsula jutting out of the Mediterranean. Right? That's what. So Arabia is an area. Israel is in the Arabian peninsula. That's why Israel is also in the Middle East. Does that make sense? So all the Arabian countries, you know, all of them, Israel, you know, Lebanon, Qatar, Kuwait, Oman, uh, Jordan, uh, which is the one? Iran, Iraq, <laughs> yeah, Bahrain, Kuwait. Uh, that's, about, that's about them, really. And Egypt, kind of, but Egypt straddles the Middle East and Africa, sort of, you know, so, mm-ish. So Arabia is a geographical area, yeah, which corresponds to Jerusalem. Are you making sense? All right, put the verse back up. Corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is 
and is in bondage with her children or her offspring. Next verse. But the Jerusalem from above or Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now, we are Delphos. As Isaac was, we are children of promise. Look at this carefully. Isaac is not the promise. We and Isaac are children of promise. Isaac came by promise. We came by promise. We, like Isaac, are also children of promise. Keep it going. I need to get to 31 so I can start to teach. But as he who was born according to the flesh, which is who? Ishmael, son of the bondwoman, son of the slave woman, son that came by human attempt to fulfill God's will. Remember that in the NLT? As he then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. Or NLT says, according to God's own fulfillment of what he says. Even so it is when? Now. Even now. That's what law is doing to grace. Have you noticed? Even now, Ishmael still has a problem with Isaac. Every time you bring up the promise... Without human fulfillment, Ishmael goes to war. Every time you teach the promise, the peddlers of the law get upset. Even so, it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bond woman and her son. I've explained this to you before. How can God be so mean and throw out a slave woman and her son after just doing what Abraham said? This is why. Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman or the slave wife shall not be heir with the son of the freeborn or the free woman. He cannot. So then, brethren. So then, brethren. So then, brethren. We are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Stay in 31, bring back up NLT. And then we're going to the next verse. 31 in the NLT. So dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again in. We are not children of the bond woman. We are children of the free woman. Stand fast therefore. In the liberty with which Christ has made us free or made us children of the free woman. And don't get entangled again to the Jerusalem that is in Arabia. That is in bondage with her children. Did you see that? A contrast for the promise by grace through faith and the law of man. When Israel was called out of Egypt, if you want a title, what purpose then does the law serve? When God called Egypt, Israel out of Egypt, God intended that all of them would be priests. That was God's intention. All of Israel were to be priests. 
not an individual tribe. Exodus 19 and 6. Exodus 19, 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom. He's talking to Israel. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to who? That they were going to be a what? Of NLT. Isn't that interesting? And you will be my kingdom of priests. My holy nation, this is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So God's intention for calling Israel out as a people was that the entire people would be kings and priests. All of them. But if you start to read from verse chapter 20, you know, stuff starts to happen. People start to rebel. You know, humanity starts to basically play out. And then eventually, in, in chapter 28, God introduces the Levitical order. In other words, that's when he singles out the tribe of Levi. Because Israel was just showing that. You know how they would tell, God would tell Moses, oh, this, <laughs> God would tell Moses, this is your people. <laughs> are such a stiff-necked people. Israel worried God. Oh my God. For a man to worry God. So in chapter 28 and verse 1, you will see where, Exodus 28 and 1, you see where God then starts to tell um, Moses, take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him, from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest, and Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithama, and you shall make garments for them. And that's how the Levitical priesthood has to be introduced, okay? I'm not going to go into that today. But that's how, and because we had the Levitical priesthood, we had a law that was sort of developed along with them, right? The Ten Commandments, and then after that, the extra 600, around 613 laws, making a total of around 623 laws. And in fact, if you're as a, as a what do they call it, uh, fun fact, if you study anything about um, Jewish history, Hebraic history, you'll find that some of the laws are even missing. Because you know, most for, for a time, most of it was translated orally in song form. And a lot of the, so in, in Hebraic settings right now, there are actually contrasting accounts of how many laws there are. So 613 is abbreviated from what we currently have in some of the most um, authentic copies of the Torah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, they are, they are, they are uh, what do you call them now? Yeah. Oral records, historical records that suggest there were more. That's nice, isn't it? And so they all start to be given and the Levitical order starts to be built. And of course, Israel comes under that law. And there's a bunch of people that actually teach now that the God had nothing to do with the law. I've said this many times. Uh, you know, it was not given by God, it was given by Moses. Where did Moses pass? To give people such hundreds of laws and put people of God under bondage. It, it, it means effectively that Moses put God under bondage. If we're going to be logical, let's be logical all the way. And let's not be selectively logical. 
By the time Moses is powerful enough to give God's people, and it's not Moses that called them out of Egypt. This is the same Moses that God, I showed you last week. The same Moses that God said, oh, we shall, must we give you water? Okay, that's okay. Because of what you did, you will not enter the promised land. God effectively sanctioned Moses for something as basic as flaunting one instruction. But God allows him to give 613 laws that bind his people. And God said, oh, Mo, you're doing all right. Oh, sorry, I didn't know when you answered, when you gave those laws. I was, I was busy um, sorting out the other galaxies. Because we must be careful in, in defending the character of God that we don't turn God into a sissy. Are you listening to me here this afternoon? You must be careful. God's not a sissy. He turned God to some weakling who has no willpower, who has no control, and then you say he's omnipotent. No, he might be potent, but certainly not omni, because Moses can come and just do whatever he likes and get away with it. But then this same God that allows Moses to get away with enslaving his people with 613 laws now gets angry over just one small mistake and sanctions the same Moses and says, you won't enter the promised land because you, you struck the rock instead of speaking to it. And then because you took credit and said that if you and me were in partnership to deliver the people, you won't, you will see the land, but you won't go into it. But the same Moses could get away with 613 laws and say God was not involved. And then we say that nothing takes God unawares. He knows the plans he has concerning us. You know, uh, he makes all things to work together for good. No, we have to start suspecting that kind of God who is selective in his engagement. So if we're going to be logical, let's be logical all the way. Now, this is because we don't fully understand the purpose of the law. The, the law is not God's enemy. Are you listening to me? So you must, you must balance, you must, must balance it. We'll deal with that a little today. Romans. <laughs> Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 and verse 12. In fact, I'll go all the way to 16, but Romans 7 and 12. But look at this carefully. Therefore, the law is one what? And the commandment is what? Holy, one, and, two, and? Okay. Problem. The law is holy. Separate, set apart. Separated from, separated unto. The law is holy. And the commandment is what? Holy and just and good. Wow. And I explained to you that good in the original translation means something that is fit for purpose. Good doesn't necessarily mean nice. Good doesn't mean cute. Good in scripture means something is doing what it was intended to do. Make sense? And that's why God is God, because he's good. God is good because God is doing God. The way God is supposed to be done. That's the goodness of God. The goodness of God is not necessarily the niceness of God. The goodness of God in your life is God taking his God business in your life seriously. So when God is good to me, it means that God understands as a father that my needs ought to be met and so he meets them because he's God and therefore he's good. Are you following me now? 
So God is not, let me help you with this today. God is not meeting your needs because he likes you. And see, that's the problem with when we mess up and run away. Because you know that your earthly father will say to you, you are not eating this house today. Or your mother. Or she will say to you, go back to where you are coming from. Has your mother told you that before? Has your mother now gotten mad at you for actually going back to where you came from? Has she slapped you for trying to explain to her that you went back only because she said you should go back? Have you now tried to explain that she says, I am talking and you are talking. But you said, you are still talking. You put your head down. Oh, I'm talking to you now. You are putting your head down. You put your, oh, now you are proud. I can talk, you are looking at me as I'm talking to you. Go back to where you are coming from. And you went back. And your mom will say, I, I told you to go back. And you went back. But mom, you... you. <laughs> so after a while, you just understand that when you mess up, there's no... You just stay away. Sometimes you already go and rent a mediator. So as I show up, I show up with my mediator. I don't, good morning, mom. Mommy, good morning, ma. Look at, uh -huh. So he will explain, make the case. Has, has it happened to anybody? Your mom is angry. She's red with anger. She wants to kill you. But a mediator has intervened. She knows it to be unjust for her to still do what she wants to do. So she begrudgingly lets you into the house. You better not break a glass. Because if you break a glass, you will be punished for killing Jesus. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You'll be punished for burning down a whole country. Yeah. The, the punishment will be disproportionate to the crime because that's when she will bring back. And God and Moses had that kind of thing going on. One, one minute, like my people, I brought them out of Egypt and now come to Moses. Say, see, your people are stiff-necked. They are worrying me. In fact, I will wipe all of them. I will kill them all. And with you alone, Moses, I will make a great nation. And God meant it. If humanity could come by Adam, there was no reason why God is not powerful enough to bring another set of humanity from Moses. Let's, not be, let's be careful to not disparage the character of God in trying to explain him. And Moses will be there as an intermediary. Between God and the people. And the law starts to be given. And God says the law is Moses. Paul says the law is perfect. The law is good. The law is just. The law is holy. Romans 7 and 13. The law is bad. The law is enemy of God. No, the law is not the enemy of God. 
the law is a faithful servant of God. You didn't hear what I said? Yeah. The law is what? A faithful servant. The law served God well. Has then what is good become death to me? Because the law is good, holy, and just. If it's good, has it become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, so that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through the law, through what is good. So that sin, through the commandment, might become exceedingly sinful. Stay in 13, give us NLT. I need you guys to get this. Especially those of you who have not been around for so long. How can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin, not the law. We can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. Keep going. I'm going to do all the way to 16. So the trouble is not with the law. Okay, one, two, go. Everybody, one, two, go. Uh huh. Uh huh. Fifteen. But I don't do it. Instead. Sixteen. Slow, slow, slow down. One to go. This. Hold on. Read this verse again. Let me read it for you. If I know that what I am doing, which is what I do not want to do, if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows I have validated that the law is good or that the law has done its job. Let's, let's try TPT for 16. And if my behavior is not in line with my desire, because my desire, verse 15, let's see verse 15, TPT. I'm a mystery to myself, for I want, that's my desire, to do what is right, but end up doing what my moral instincts condemn, that's my behavior. Come on, talk to me, what about the house? Yeah, so my desire is to do what is right, my behavior doesn't line up. 16, and if my behavior is not in line with my desire, my conscience confirms the what? The law is good. In what it does. The law is perfect. God finds no fault in the law. No, God finds no fault in the law. On the contrary, the law is God's fault finder. Are you following me now? The law is how God finds fault. The law is not faulty. The law is God's tool for finding fault. 
in itself, it is faultless. And again, faultless or good does not mean cute and nice. Good means purposeful, doing what it was intended to do. That's when something is good. Good is not cute and cuddly. Oh, this food is good. The measure to which it is belefooling you is the actual, actual, actual goodness of the food. I've eaten many times, and when I finish eating, Mama or Esther will ask me, so Big Daddy, uh, are you, how was the food? And my response will be, at least right now, I'm not hungry again. There's food you ate. Do you know you ate it to save your life? If they ask you, how did it taste? You honestly cannot speak as to the taste. Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah. You, you honestly cannot speak as to the taste of the food. Somebody, somebody was going to start a business, a food business, and he brought three different um, samples for me to, 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 to taste and, and give him my review. I knew that I was dying of hunger. I was famished that day. I called Esther. I said, come, Esther. She came into my office. I said, take out a portion of this. I was sounding like Jacob about to die, you know, about to bless his 12, his 12, 12 sons. Take out a portion of this one. Take out a portion of that one. Take out a portion of that one. Go and eat them and give me your honest review of this thing because the way I am hungry. Last, last, it is your review we will submit. And so I was hungry, but I kept seeing the, the guy's face. He has such a baby face. So I could see his face in the food. And I kept telling myself, you know what, you know, taste it. I was eating it. You understand? Know I was telling myself, for this young man's sake, taste what you are eating. Taste it. Taste it. Get a review. Taste it. So I finally began to taste it towards the end. Yeah. I'm being honest with you. <laughs> towards the end, I began to taste it. I'm like, okay, yeah, okay. Then I got critical and I made a few notes, you know, because now I had small energy. You know, like 100, cal- <laughs> 100 calories or 200 calories. And I made a few notes and I survived. But most times, you're, so food is good because it meets its purpose. Yeah. I don't like vegetables. Something will happen to you. Yes. I don't like fruit. Something will happen to you. You will take the fruit as fruit or you will take the fruit as supplement. You will take it. You will take it. Mm-hmm. You will eat vegetables and eat greens for blood and build up or you go and take blood supplement. So good is contextual. Good is not always nice. It's cute. Mm, yummy. No. Most times your taste buds shut down for your stomach to prevail. <laughs> I'm serious. So understand that in that sense. God finds no fault in the law. The law is faultless. Doesn't mean the law is cute. And, but nobody could keep it now. The law is good. How can something that cannot be kept be good? That's why we're having this conversation today. But say with me, God finds no fault in the law. I say with me, the law is not an enemy of God. No, it's not. That's not an enemy of God. To call the law an enemy of God will be to call Ishmael an enemy of God. 
So you say, ah. why would God minister to Hagar for a season to preserve Ishmael for a season? Genesis 16, by the well. If God hated Ishmael in that sense, why would he have preserved Ishmael when Ishmael needed to be preserved? Does that make sense? Because, yes, Ishmael came about by man's permutation, but man's permutation was not on, uh, what's what I'm looking for? Was not, it didn't take God unawares. God stared into man's calculation, what man would do. And isn't it interesting that the same person who is fighting Abraham is the same person that facilitated that thing, Sarah. Since God will not give, since God, since God, since God will not give me children, give you children by me. Eh? Can you hear the guilt trip? Say God has decided that it's not me he will use to give you a child. Eh? Take Hagar now, my maid. Sleep with her. See if perhaps God will give me, Sarah, a child through her. That's what she actually said. Which is, which is kind of weird. You know, God will give you a woman, a child through another woman. And Abraham was like, okay, well, you know, if you say so. That means one way or the other. But here it is. Hebrews 11. From verse 11. By faith, Abraham, by faith, Sarah herself conceived. Strength, received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age. Follow me carefully with this. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. That's referring to Isaac, right? But see verse 12. Therefore, from one man, please read that carefully. And him as good as dead. And the word there used is the word unproductive. Unproductive. Let, before, I, before I go on, give us verse 12 in maybe TPT or the message. Verse 12. That's how it happened that from one man's dead and shriveled loins, there are now people numbering into the millions. TPT. In fact, so many children were subsequently fathered by this aged man of faith, one who was as good as dead, that he now has offspring as innumerable as the sand on the seashore and as the stars in the sky. Now this is twofold. It is both literal and symbolic or allegoric. It is referring to his natural children that he went on to have and it's referring to the children according to heirs of the promise, which is us. Yeah? But before we get to us, let's stay with Isaac, who is the first child that Abraham fathers. And in the natural sense, he was referred to as what? As good as dead. Put back the message. 
That's how it happened that from one man's dead and shriveled loins, there are now people numbering into the millions. Dead and shriveled loins. Genesis 15 verse 2. Please don't blink. Genesis 15 verse 2. Then Abram said to God, please give us NLT. <laughs> Abram replied, Sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? I've told you before that Abram didn't ask for a son. He just asked for compensation. Because by this time he had known that he was past having children. Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. Genesis 15, eh? Come to Genesis 16. Hebrews 11 tells you that he had dead and shriveled loins. In other words, he was unproductive and infertile. Hmm? Sterile. We've just seen in Genesis 15, the guy himself admitted that he can't have children. Genesis 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. Now we're talking about Sarah's barrenness, Sarai's barrenness. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abraham, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. Go on. Three. Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar the maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. After Abraham had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he was coming to about 86 or so in age. So he went in or had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. Hold on. Take off the screen. He was as good as dead. Hebrews 11. Shriveled loins, unproductive. Genesis 15, he admitted by himself to God, I cannot have children. But he got Hagar pregnant. And it's not God that gave the law. How did Abraham get quickened to get Hagar pregnant for Ishmael? Because his loins were dead. If it was Eleazar that got Hagar pregnant, we can say, okay, they're looking at it from adoption, you know, foster parent or surrogate, something along those lines. But it was Abram that slept with Hagar. And the same person who could not give birth to the son of promise in the first instance. Because the salvation is always tied to the second man. So God, oh, how, how can you say God? It's not God that stopped Sarai from getting pregnant. You see, we are still babies in doctrine. It is God. You see, we have to be careful. You know, in our New Testament theology, we take God and beat God down that he doesn't know anything. How, how can God stop a woman from getting pregnant? Excuse me, ma. God can. He's not only one-dimensionally powerful. 
He's all dimensionally powerful. Can God kill and make a life? Sir, yes. The question is not does God kill? It's can God kill? And the answer to that question is yes. If he gave life, he can take it. We must be careful in our explanation of God's character. I repeat that we don't thumb him down and make him look impotent. Can he shut the womb of a woman? Yes, according to his eternal prophetic agenda. Because you go and give birth to the wrong child. And you will mess up what we have spent eternity building. Wait first. Are you following me now? Yeah. You give birth now, you spoil everything. I've spent eternity planning a narrative. A narrative that will be followed with Esau and Jacob. A narrative followed with Boaz and Ruth. You can't come and spoil it now because child, they hungry you. Wait a bit. My plan is linked to the second child of Abraham. Not the first. But you see, what man does, hey, Lamoka, what abiding house? Listen, what man does has to precede what God does. Now, God is wanting to do. But man hasn't done. Man has to do and fail. It's not, it's not partnership. It's not partnership. We will not help each other. No, you will do your own. It will blow up in your face. Then I will do my own. So now, Isaac is ready. But man hasn't done his own and failed. In fact, on the contrary, man is even trusting God so much that man is not even thinking about a child. And there's a problem here. Abraham trusts God from the moment God called him in Genesis 12 and said, leave your household. It, it takes trusting God to get up and start going. And that's a problem because Abraham has not had the opportunity to mess up. Abraham has not had the opportunity in this narrative now to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Ah, Holy Spirit. He, he loves God. He believes God. But he has not had the, the option of options. Do you understand? They have not given him the option to choose like Eve in the garden. And if they have not given him the option to choose, the redemptive plan cannot kick in yet. Because the redemptive plan must come after your own. Don't fail. So who inspired Sarai to do? Ah, since God is not giving us children, eh, take Hagar now. Sleep with her. 
I think I will have children through her. Did Hagar get pregnant? Did she give birth? Whose child was it? Sarah's. Technically speaking. Because Sarah said, I want to have children. If you sleep with Hagar and she gets pregnant and gives, she, she will give me a child. And God was like, yes, we have answered the problem of the firstborn. Abraham, now you can quickly get pregnant so we can get the firstborn. Tick. But no be God do him. But now God do him. Are you following me now? God didn't inspire it. God didn't. But God was waiting for man to do their human permutation and then he would take advantage of it and bring about his divine plan. So all of those times waiting for Abraham, in my opinion, it would not have taken Abraham up till he was 100 to have Isaac. It just took as long as it took for Sarah to get the idea For us to produce Ishmael. Because Ishmael had to come first. And if Sarai had not received that. If she had not arrived at her frustration. That time. I would have still been waiting. It's Ishmael that would have been born. When Abraham was 100 years. Not Isaac. Abraham was 86. When Ishmael was born. 86 going 87. Because Ishmael was about 13 years older than Isaac. So if, Ish, if the Ishmael idea did not come quick enough, I would have been there. 150, made two cell, I were waiting. Yes. And God would have been that patient to wait because Ishmael has to precede Isaac. Are you following me now? So you say God did not give the, the, where was he? When, how did Abraham who was dead receive enablement to get a slave pregnant. He could not get the wife, the free woman, pregnant. But the moment he went into the slave woman, God was like, yeah, do it. First trial. Sharp shooter father Abraham. He went into her. Boom. Old Gave birth and without understanding of Y or Z chromosomes. It was a son that was conceived and not a daughter. God is not at war with the law. The law is part of God's plan. 1 Timothy 1, 3 to 8. Are you getting anything? 1 Timothy 1, 3 to 8. Paul is speaking to Timothy, right? When I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. <laughs> These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. And he says, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. But some people have missed this whole point. 
They have turned away from these things and spent their time in meaningless discussions. They want to be known, follow this carefully, they want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they're talking about, even though they speak so confidently. Verse 8, we know that the law is good. Disclaimer, when... The law is what? Good. And I'm sure some Pharisee and Sadducee is celebrating right now. Ah, finally, Papa has come with balance. I will unbalance your life today. You will not know, you will not know what hits you. You say, finally. I said it. You have to balance this thing. I'm coming for you. Look at this. We know that the moral code or the law of the law is beautiful when applied as God. Am I correct or am I right? So good is relative. Good is not cute and nice. Good is, good is according to intention, according to purpose. The law is good when used according to intention. What then is the intention? The word intention, the word good, or uh, put New King James. New King James, see the word that is used there. First Timothy 1 and 8. Nomimos. The law is good if one uses it lawfully. The word is the word nomimos in the Greek. Nomimos, N-O-M-I-M-O-S, nomimos. And it means according to the rules. You must use it according to the rules. The law is good when used according to the rules. The problem is you start to fight the law or start to uphold the law when you don't know the rules. So you're fighting to uphold it. You're fighting to kill it. You don't know the rules. So you're here and you're like, thank God for grace. The law was a bastard. You don't know the rules. Thank God for grace. The law of Moses was given by man. It's grace that came through Jesus. You don't know the rules. Where was God when Moses was given it? What kind of God does he make? God is so irresponsible. If he just sits there and most just one rule after the other. If you sleep, rape a virgin and she did not shout, you will marry her. Pay 50 shekels for her. If she shouted, but it was in the public place in the country where nobody heard, and then you can atone for your sins and leave her. Or, but if she shouted, you cannot say she shouted in the city and nobody in the city heard. That means she, she liked it. You must marry her. That's the law. And it goes on and on. If a lady has a menstrual period, anywhere she sits on is unclean till night. Anybody she touches is unclean till nightfall. Any bed she sleeps on is unclean and must be washed with water. She's not to gather in the congregation of the saints for seven days. You're like, ah, no, God forbid. That could not have come from God. 
God is good. He's not bad. And you are right. What does good mean? <laughs> so on this hand, the grace guys are beating the law. And that's why we start to grow, go through scriptures. And that set of people now start taking portions of scripture and effectively tearing them out. In the manner of speaking. You say, no, I know the Bible said this, but no, that's not accurate. Of God. Because we are trying to force our understanding of God's goodness into scripture. And to do that, there are scriptures that don't respond to that view that you must explain away. And say, Moses did not know what he meant when he said. Oh, yes. The writers of the scriptures were limited in their revelation. Holy men wrote as they were inspired by the spirit. You can't believe the word with one side of your mouth and then thumb it down with the other side. What's wrong with you? Peter said no scripture, no word of prophecy is of private interpretation. But holy men wrote as they were inspired by the spirit. Then Paul himself says, all scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable. All scripture. All scripture was given by the inspiration of God. So by the time you come and start to nitpick and cherry pick and, and you say, no, Moses could not have said, Moses meant, you know, Moses only saw a dimension of Moses, you know, you make God look like an idiot. And you make the truth of God into a lie. Yeah, God is good. What does that mean? And then on this hide, they're like, yes, the grace of God. But you know one of the lamest arguments for the law? That every, every society must live according to laws. That's the dumbest argument for the law of Moses I've ever encountered in my entire years as a minister. Yes, we are under grace. We agree. But no nation, no society exists without laws. And you are saying that and you wore jeans and sweater two different fabrics when the law of Moses says you should not wear two different fabrics on your body I am the Lord you, you quoted that and you barbed your hair when the law said no man should let a razor touch his head and so every time you trim your beard or shape it you broke the law every time don't put a razor upon you I am the Lord you cannot plant two different trees, two different plants on your vineyard. I am the law. So you and your entire, you are the definition of ancestral causes. Because all your family have been planting different, different plants on their farmland for generations. If you eat it, you are as guilty as the people that handed it over to you. Then anybody who has raped a person, must mar you must marry her. You must pay her father. Everybody you raped was your wife. Go and claim it. Ladies, anybody that ever raped you is your long lost husband. And you tell me that is the law that God had in mind for society. 
And he gave grace and then gave you law. And say, every society cannot be without laws. So yes, Pav, I'll be waiting for you to preach this balance. The law is good when used lawfully. No me cause, no me most, no me most, according to the rules. So you must understand what the rules of engagement are for the law. You must. To use it properly. First rule of the law. Or if you like, first law of the law. <laughs> because the law is good when used lawfully. Is that not so? First rule of the law is that the law is not profitable for righteousness. The first thing to understand about the law is that it does not bring about righteousness even when absolutely fulfilled. Are you here? There's nobody that got a reward from God because he kept the law. Maybe we should go there now and then we'll come back and continue. The law is not profitable for righteousness. Let me show you a scripture that we have glossed over for a long time. Luke chapter 1. From verse 5. 5 through 2. Ah. 5 through 2. 13. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. You, you, you know this dude? Father of John the Baptist? Of the division of Abijah, his wife was one of the daughters of Aaron, Levite. Priests, full-blooded. Him and his wife. And her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were the tribe of Levi. They were both righteous before God. Look at this carefully. Walking in the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Stay here. They were both righteous. Zacharias and his wife were both righteous walking in all, all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Next verse, verse 7. Nobody has thought about it before but they had no child. Now if anybody deserved a child But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well. Bought, 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 bought. After all their effort. No child. See verse 8. Both advancing years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, it, it, his lot failed to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside. Who was praying outside? Do you know what that prayer was? Who knows what the prayer was? The chief priest is inside the most holy place atoning for our sins for this year. If, he, if, he, if the bell that is linked to his cloak stops ringing, it means God has killed him. We have to pull him out. And that means our sins stay uncovered for this year. Because it takes six months to prepare another priest to do the one day entry into the most holy place. 
So when this high priest goes in and is giving the sacrifice and burning the incense and the bell is ringing, everybody outside is praying, Father, when they're not praying to God. They're not praying for their sins. Listen to me carefully, church. They are praying for their priest. Because Hebrews makes clear, priesthood is only as long as the priest lives. <laughs> so if our priest dies, that's the end of our priesthood, which means that's the end of the atonement for our sins. Father God, keep our priest alive. Because for this next year, it's very, very, very important that our priest does not die in your presence. The priest was inside. The people, A.G., the people divine, were not praying for their sins. The people outside were not praying a prayer of confession. They are not praying a prayer of confession. They were praying for their priest. Because if their priest survives, they are okay. Are you following me now? Oh, Father Lord, oh Jesus, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. The bell is still ringing. <laughs> okay. He's, he's making sense. He's, God, is, God is receiving his offering. Now, that's what's going on outside. This guy is not praying. Because God has never forgiven sin by prayer. Ever. When there is sin, only blood can speak. Only blood. It's life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, the soul that sins shall die. Atonement, therefore, is the exchanging of your life with the life of another in your place. Atonement is somebody dying the death you deserved to die for your sin. Does that make sense? The reason why sin was not being forgiven was two things. One, there was no man who was blameless enough to take your place. Two, there were blameless animals, sheep and, and lambs and goats without spot or wrinkle, but the problem is they're animals and it's not animals that sinned. So the best the animals could do is cover your sin for a minute. Because it's not a commensurate sacrifice. A man sinned, you killed a lamb, the lamb can't take away the sin of the man. So at best, the lamb will cover for a minute, for a year, and not take away. The Jews understood when John shouted, Behold, the lamb of God. The first time in history, they were hearing lamb and take away in the same sentence. First time, lamb. Take away the sins of the whole world. You don't understand how big an announcement that was. John's disciples left John immediately. A lamb, a man, lamb. We're not cover, we'll take away, not Israel, the world. Thank you, John. 
You have done well. And that was the most foolish moment in John's ministry. Because you too, you will not fold your thing and come out of the water and follow. This is John. John that did not ever tell Jesus to baptize him because he knew that his baptism was inferior. He says, you come to me to baptize you in water. When it should be me coming to you to baptize me. Now for John to come to Jesus to baptize him, John would have had to come out of the water. If John was telling Jesus to baptize him in water, he'd have been inviting Jesus into the water to invite him. He says, you come to me to invite you, to baptize you when I should come to you. If you just call Jonathan, just come out. As once the Holy Spirit said, this is the one, should I just come out and say, okay, say, I'm following you because now you owe me baptism. Sin has already been forgiven by prayer. The, pro- the priest didn't go there to say, Father, you know, they are unholy, but I am holy. No. Say, Father, do not say, no, 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 no. What did you bring? Blood on the altar or get out? Blood on the altar or get out? We have no conversation to have. So once the priest goes in and then he pours that blood on the mercy seat, and that's it. It's the people outside that were holding their breath. Because once the priest dies, the priesthood for that year is terminated. So they are praying outside. Go back to Luke 1 8. Why am I even spending time here? And the whole multitude of people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Go back to verse 10. Verse 10. Let me see some of these translations. I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm inquisitive right now. A large crowd of worshippers had gathered to pray outside the temple at the hour when incense was being offered. Message. It, the congregation were gathered and praying outside the temple at the hour of the incense offering. They are praying. Yes. Go back to NLT. Zacharias is inside. They are praying. Next verse. 11. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the incense altar. Go on. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, watch this carefully. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him John. Hold up. God has heard your prayer. Where did Zechariah pray? Flash read, we're in chapter 13, verse 13. Flash read from verse 1. King James, some of you only trust King James. KJV. KJV, Luke 1, 1. Flash read up to verse 13. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they deliver them unto us, which are from the beginning, which were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good unto me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou had been instructed. They were in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all 
all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel of the Lord said to him, fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard. I just read it again for you to see if you can find anywhere Zechariah was praying. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son and thou shalt call his name John. Keep going. And thou shalt have joy and gladness and many shall rejoice at his birth for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. And shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. Stop. God heard thy prayer. The child you are coming with will be filled with the Holy Ghost. God heard thy prayer. But you did not pray. Whose prayer did God hear? The congregation was not praying for Zachariah to have a child. They were praying for God to not kill their priest. Whose prayer did the Lord hear over Zachariah? Because that son will be what? Filled with the Holy Ghost. So who interceded for Zachariah? Had to be. Because this was spirit business. Not law business. Because as far as the law is concerned, Zachariah was blameless. And no child. And the child prophet could not come by the law because what God intended for it to do could not have been successful. So God has heard your prayer. It's better translated, somebody has prayed for you. So now it's time. You will give birth to a child. Filled. That's the only record we have. Of a child arriving full of the Holy Ghost. Because his, his, his mission was to identify that Holy Ghost in somebody else. <laughs> How can you identify the Holy Ghost? If it's just oil will pour on you. <laughs> no, you have, you have to bring the substance. So when you see it, you can say, yeah, that's, the, that's that. <clears throat> that's the Holy Ghost. And that's why when Elizabeth meets Mary... John inside the Zacharias <coughs> baby John in the belly jumped like, eh that's what that's what that, that's, that's but the point is righteousness produces no result that's the first rule the law is not profitable for righteousness Romans 8 1 to 4 are you here Romans 8 1 to 4. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. New King James. Yeah, there is therefore now. Uh -huh. no, <laughs> no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law 
Verse 3. For what the law of sin and death could not do in that the law of sin and death was weak through the flesh. In other words, no matter how good the law is, when the law enter me and jam my life, my sin will kill it. <laughs> Don't try my sin. My sin is the end of the power of the law. The law came, Paul says, Romans 7. The law came, sin revived, or sin awoke, and I died. Hey, this is the weight of those statements. The law was weakened through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness, in the likeness, in the likeness. This is where a modern translation will help you, sinful flesh. In the likeness of sinful flesh. Romans 8.3. For God achieved what the law was unable to accomplish because the law was limited by the weakness of human. So I just told you. The law was limited. The law thinks it's tough until it jam your sin. So God sent His Son in human form to identify with human weakness. Clothed with humility, humanity, God's son gave his body to be the sin offering because he had to be a man to die for man. So that God could once and for all condemn, condemn the power of sin, the guilt and power of sin. Verse 4, Romans 8 4. Go back to New King James. Romans 8 4. That the righteous requirement of the law, what the law demanded, might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So you see, the law is not profitable for righteousness. Are you here? Why then was the law given? Galatians 3, 19 to 26. Are you getting anything? You're understanding the law better so far? Galatians 3, 19 through to 26. Hallelujah. What purpose then does the law serve? Answer. It was added because of transgressions. Give us an LT. <laughs> why then was the law given it was given alongside the promise to do what show people their sin that's the laboratory scientist that diagnoses your thing when you do tests but does not have the medication to treat it You go to the lab, you do a test, you see 29 things there, 17 of them positive, 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 and they tell you, take it to the doctor. Yes, yes. I'm not in the medical field, but any lab scientist that tells you, meet me in the Oza room, let me give you the prescription for... <laughs> Is a hustler. Mm. I'm not saying you will not have experience. 
That's how you deal with malaria. You see malaria, you, you, you just know. Does that make sense? Yeah, but the idea of going to a lab is that they tell you what's wrong with you and then you go and figure out how to treat it. And when you go to the doctor and you say, you know Nigerians are good at diagnosing yourself. You go to the doctor and say, what's the matter with you? You say, doctor, I, I think I have malaria. And you say, why? My eye is yellow. My temperature is rising and falling. My mouth is bitter. You know, you know things like this, like this. You know. The doctor will tell you, go and do a test. Even when the doctor knows more than you, by the way, you, I know what's wrong with you. Because the diagnosis must always come before the treatment. And there it is, hidden in plain sight in medical science. We must always diagnose your condition before we can treat it. So you must stop by the lab before you see the doctor. Why was the law given? Verse 19. In the NLT. To show people their sins. Stay here first. Give us the TPT. Why then was the law given? It was meant to be an intermediary agreement added after God gave the promise of the coming one. After. It was given to show men how guilty they are. They amplified. Why then the law? What was his purpose? It was added after the promise to Abraham to reveal to people their guilt. Because of the transgression. That is, look at this carefully, to make people conscious of the sinfulness of sin. Remember this from last week? Sin consciousness? How would you accept treatment? We have not proven to you what's wrong with you. Problem is you now camped in the lab. You refuse the doctor. Because you paid for the lab. The lab should solve all your problems. Verse 20, back to New King James. Are you learning anything? Galatians 3 and 20. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Next verse. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. Give me NLT. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. Can you see that? If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. 
Only. Next verse. We're going to Old Testament 26. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Next verse. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. It kept you busy trying to protect, to, to, to obey something. It kept you a little bit in focus until he comes. Until we could be made right with God through faith, 25. And now that the way of faith has come, one, two, go everybody. Verse 6, 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Five things quickly on why the law was given. They're all ease, so you can remember. Number one, to establish. Number two, to ensure. Number three, to entrap. No, number three, to expose, rather. Number four, to entrap. Number five, to enable. I'll go again. Number one, to establish. Number two, to ensure. Number three, to expose. Number four, to entrap. And number five, to enable. Number one reason from this text that we read, why the law was given, to establish. Number two, to ensure. Number three, to expose. And number four, to entrap. And number five, to enable. Number one, to what? Establish the standard of God. God is holy. So he gives you the law, which is what? Holy. To show you how holy he is. The law is given to establish the standard of God. Ah, we can't keep it. It's because he's not your standard. We can't keep it. It's not your standard. Oh, we can keep it. You have now said you and God are mates. So the first thing the Lord does is to establish God's righteous standard. That's a problem, isn't it? The law is given to establish God's righteous standard. Of course, it came by a human mediator. It had to because the first will always precede the second. Always. Like you saw, Ishmael was not without God's involvement. So Moses could not have been without God's involvement. Why did God call Moses if he knew that Moses would give the law? Moses was not looking to be called. He was minding his business. Actually trying to save his life. If you think about it. Moses didn't call it upon himself. He didn't just go and go, mm, let me leave, let me just let me leave here. Let me go and, and collect the law and just put my people in bondage. And they make Moses look so evil. But Hebrews 11 lets us know that Moses did all he did because he believed in Jesus. <laughs> Hebrews 11. Let's go there now. It's Bible study. 24 to 29. Hebrews 11, 24 to 29. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter by faith. He chosen rather 
to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked forward to the reward. What is one of the tokens for the Spirit in the New Testament? In the Bible generally. Tokens. Water. What's another one? What? Wine. Yeah. What's another one? Oil. What's another one? Wind. What's another one? Fire. Yes? Ring is just an, just an illustration. When we're talking of tokens, things that were used all through scripture to symbolize, to symbolize the ministry or the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Even a dove was just a, same as a ring, just a one-off. But what you see all through scriptures as types and shadows, oil, wind, water, you know, like that. Fire. Fire. Cloven tongues as of fire preceding the giving of the Holy Spirit? Did our hearts not burn with fire? And these guys are led by a pillar of fire signifying the presence of the Holy Spirit. And before that, this guy encountered the burning bush with. Has he occurred to you? the magnitude of what Moses saw in Exodus 3 beyond what was written. Jesus shows up seven times. He says, I am. Jesus, I am. All the seven times Jesus said, I am. He was speaking exclusively of salvation. The door to the Father. The way, truth and life. The good shepherd. The resurrection and the life. The bread of life. He go, every time he says, I am. His focus is the salvation plan. And the first time he was introduced to a man as I am, was Moses. Fire was burning. <laughs> oh, Holy Spirit, help these people to see this thing. So Moses is at the bush. It is burning, but it's not burning, which means it's not fire as you know fire to be. And this person he's speaking to, he says, so who are you? And this person is sounding things like, I want to deliver my people. I want to set them free from oppression. I want to set them free from bondage. I want to take them out of Pharaoh and Egypt. And I want to take them to a land of promise. And I'm setting you up to start that process. Okay, okay, I've heard all you have said. When I go to them and ask them, who would I say sent me? I am. Now Jesus comes. And defines what I am means. And this same Jesus, the Spirit of God is upon me. For he has anointed me to set at liberty those that are oppressed. He has anointed me to, to bring cap liberty to the captives. He's anointed me. 
And he's saying the same things governing the introduction of I am. And then Hebrews comes in chapter 11 and says, By faith, Moses, fleeing these pleasures of sin, decided to be attached to the reproach of Christ for he saw the reward. And even though you don't see where Moses saw Christ, in John chapter 5, Jesus is speaking. He says, do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. He says, Moses, in whom you trust, is the one that will accuse you before the Father. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for Moses wrote of me. How could Moses have written of whom he did not see? So what was the burning bush experience? The revelation of Jesus. And got nothing to do with Israel and the promised land and, and, and Egypt and Pharaoh. The burning bush experience in its totality was a theophany of Christ. That was the conviction. It was not fear that Moses came back with. It was faith. Faith. It was that. Hey, are you? Are you? Are you here? It's what Moses saw that made him constantly block God when God wants to kill Israel. No, no, no. You know what you showed me? It's deliverance you showed me. Salvation you showed me. People now say you brought them out. You could not take them in. After what you showed me. No. I have faith. By faith. I've not taught it to you. I'll teach you someday. By faith. Moses. By faith. That's when he saw. Then it culminates in Exodus 33 and 34. That's why he had the audacity to say, let your presence. Who taught him presence? Your presence does not go with us. Don't take us from here. Oh, my presence, I'll send an angel. Moses said, no, angel. What, we, we have realms we have, we have walked in. It's not angel realms. I know what you have shown me. Okay, my presence will go with you. I will give you rest. Thank you very much, Lord. Now, show me your glory. And God now answers him. You can't see my face. Don't get me started there. Because he had seen a revelation of Jesus. So he kept pushing for more. He kept pushing for more. He kept wanting to go ahead of his time. He kept wanting to. And so Jesus just said, by faith, Moses. By faith, by faith. He wrote of me. So Moses saw that and that's why Hebrews 11 before you say Pav said let's continue 27 Hebrews 11 27 by faith text only he forsook Egypt by faith by faith there's certain narratives that you know you like I've taught you you need to put together portions of scripture to establish a narrative so you read in Exodus, he, you know, kills somebody, runs away. That's not the entire premise. That's not the entire premise. 
oral tradition handed down captures the fullness of these things. By faith, he forsook Egypt. Then you now come to 2 Corinthians. I love God's word. You now come to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And you see why you are saying, Ah, Moses, he saw God. His face was shining. You cannot even be on the mountain for three days. Moses came down. His face was glowing. So much Shekinah. Who knows what I'm talking about? Shekinah. Let me Shekinahize you now. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 7. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones. One day I will stone this one. You know, those people that said the ceremonial law was removed but the mosaic law was left. So the Ten Commandments are still binding on us today. The 613 laws were not written on stone. Thou shall rape, thou shall not rape, thou shall wear, thou shall not wear, was not written on stone. Hmm? What scripture actually, 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 actually caused the law is the Ten Commandments. That's what was given on stones. Twice. I've told you before, that's the first tablet in creation. The Ten Commandments. One tablet carrying five. Another tablet carrying five. The iPad is not the first tablet. The Ten Commandments is the first tablet. A tablet that carries something as written. That you can refer to. It's the Ten Commandments twice. Moses broke the first one in anger. God said, come back here, my friend. <laughs> Chiseled the next one and give to him again. What was on the tablet? Ten Commandments. And that's what Paul calls what? But that's the one the church has refused to let go of. Because you think God in Christ is not powerful enough to lead his people without thou shalt not. Please, thou shalt not. And as many as are led by the Spirit. Which one carries more weight? Thou shalt not and be ye imitators of Christ. Which carries more weight? Have you noticed that Christianity is so insecure in what he believes? So insecure, he cannot trust you for your God to look after you. No, all the ceremonial law has been done away with, but we must respect the Ten Commandments on tablets, on tablets, on tablets. And it's the one on tablets that Paul says the ministry of death. That same one. Thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, death. Because every time you hear thou shalt not, that's the one that thou shalt want to shall. <laughs> Remember Romans 7? What I want to do, I find myself not doing what I want to do, I find myself. But what, what happens? Every time law is given, sin revives. So God that said thou shalt not knows that thou shalt. And the one that he says, thou shalt, thou shalt not. 
So he didn't give thou shalt for thou to shalt. Ministry of death. Written and engraved on stones. Ministry of death. Put it back up. Corinthians 3.7. Was glorious. My mom would say ask for. Here, here's how glorious it was. The children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance. That's what we preach. His countenance was shining. But look at this. Which glory was, was passing away? So Moses came down actually from the mountain sad. Because what he asked for, he could not see it in its reality. He only saw it in promise. And that's why in the Mount of Transfiguration, God brings Moses signifying the law brings Elijah signifying the prophets and now said to both of them behold this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased hear ye him hold on a second has anybody Matthew 17 Matthew 17 from verse 1 now after six days Jesus took Peter James and John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves and was transfigured before them. Hmm? And his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here Three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And Moses, Elijah, and, and Moses and Elijah appeared to them. Who is them? Peter, James, and John. Talking with him. Who is him? Okay, Luke chapter 9. That's all, that's all um, what's his name's account? Uh, Luke's account says. But if you go to Mark, Luke chapter 9... From verse 28. Now it came to pass after eight, about eight days after these sayings. That he took Peter, John and James. I went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed the appearance of his face was altered. And his robe became white and glistening. And behold two men talked with him. Who were Moses and Elijah. Who appeared in glory and spoke of his disease. NLT 31. <laughs> see why I take time to teach. Yes, they were glorious to see. And they were speaking about his exodus from this world. Which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. TPT. All at once two men appeared in glorious splendor. Moses and Elijah. They spoke with Jesus about his soon departure from this world and things he was destined to accomplish in Jerusalem. So when Jesus stays in John 5, Moses spoke of me. And I tell you that Moses saw Jesus in Exodus 3. And why the writer of Hebrews would say, by faith, Moses, 
And then now you see Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration informing Jesus of what was about to happen to Jesus. Give us other translations. Maybe, 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 maybe amplified. Who appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure from earthly life, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. I'm saying to prove a point to you all. 32. But Peter and those who were with him were what? Heavy with sleep. And while, when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then as it happened, as they were parting from him, that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here and let us make Three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, because these men saw that vision. They saw the glory of Jesus, and they saw two men in glorious splendor. And they said, three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Not knowing what he had said. That's what Peter, Peter said what he said by divine inspiration, not even knowing. Because they were asleep. NLT. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, no, why are they leaving? It's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. 34, while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. Gone was the law, gone was the prophets. God, who at various times in various ways spoke to our fathers in time past through the prophets has now spoken. And what did he speak? Hear him! Or, this is the one you should hear. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. Excuse me, ma. Jesus in these days speaks alone. Jesus is not the complementary voice of God. He is the exclusive voice of God. Jesus is not helping Moses to talk. Or helping Elijah to talk. Jesus is how God is speaking. Exclusively. Are you getting this? So the law was given to establish the righteous standard of God. Contrary to popular belief, can you see, that Moses was not acting in isolation. Contrary to popular New Testament belief, that Moses was just acting arbitrarily, just doing whatever he liked. That is an insult on the character of God that we are trying to defend. But contrary to what has been peddled, no, Moses was acting from revelation in step with what he was permitted to see 
and what he was permitted to say. Because when he came down and covered his face, he covered his face because he knew that God, there was more I did not see. Hey, I asked for glory. God said he can't show me his face. So who now see his face? Where will I be when they show his face? Oh God, now all of Israel is like today. Everybody's mesmerized by white shining face. But Moses' face is covered because he knows this small glory is not even going to last. It's passing. It's going away. The actual glory I asked to see, he refused to show me. Why was I even born in this time? Why was I not born in the time where I can see the fullness of the glory of God and the fullness of the face of God? It was based on that that he came down with anger and broke the tablets. Establish the standard of God. Two, to ensure, right, that man is without excuse. Man is without excuse. Okay, so Exodus 30 is the breaking of the tablets, not afterwards, that's before Moses' encounter. That's where you have the gold calf and then um, consecrate yourselves. You have committed a sin. I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And then Moses returns to the mountain and then the Lord says, don't go up, you and the people. And then um, the um, glory thing happens. And after that, Moses returns with... The second tablets and the covenant is renewed until it is done away with. Okay, I just need to clarify that so I'm not saying stuff I hadn't confirmed. Okay, so number two, to ensure that man is without excuse. Because now you know God's standard. Right? Romans 1. Romans chapter 1 from verse 19 and 20. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The law brings or highlights or ensures that you can't say you don't know what God's expectations are. You can't say, I'm sorry, God, I didn't know. How do they say in law? Um, something about ignorance. Of, okay, I thought it was going to sound deeper than that. I thought it was going to be like a legal term. They were just going to, but yeah, it's just basic. Ignorance is not an excuse. Yeah. yeah. Culpability is not canceled by ignorance. That sounds deeper. You know? You mean? You mean? Did that just sound like more of a lawyer than the lawyers? You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. But the fact that you're, you're ignorant of the law doesn't mean you don't know. Doesn't mean that you're, you're not guilty. How much more now that you know it? It's there, it's written out for you all the hundreds of life and death sentences. So it ensures that you are without excuse. Number one, it establishes God's righteous standard. Number two, it ensures that you are without excuse because now you know what that righteous standard is. And now that you have established God's righteous standard by the law, you have ensured that you know what that standard is, it then, number three, exposes your inability to measure up. That's number three E. Remember that's what we are now? I'll give you the five E's and I'll leave you for today. 
It establishes God's righteous standard. It ensures that now that you know it, you are without excuse. And now that you know that righteous standard and you know that you have no excuse, it also shows how incapable you are to keep that standard. So number three, it exposes man's inability to measure up to God's righteous standard. Romans chapter 7 and verse 1. Let me, read, let me read from verse 7 in the NLT. I'll speed read. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. See the love I talked about? I would not have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. Are we here? But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. <laughs> if there were no law, sin would not have that power. So take away the law and sin dies. But what are we doing in church today? Trying to fight sin by the law. <laughs> Isn't that funny? It's funny though, isn't it? Trying to use the law to, to manage and police sin. People are sinning. You introduce the law. You just put petrol inside the fire. That's what you don't. If I was born in gently and you brought a huge keg of petrol and you pour it right over it in one fell swoop and now it becomes an inferno. Because the law has no power to regulate sin. The only time that sin is effectively managed is where sin abounds. The only thing more powerful than sin is grace. The only thing more powerful than sin is grace. And this is the scriptures. I will not have known where there is no law. Sin will not have that power. That's instructive. Nine, keep going. At one time I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still, still, the law itself is holy. And its commands are holy and right and good. Keep going. We've read up to 16. So let's, let's go from 17. Because we read 14 to 12 to 16 earlier. So from 17. So I'm not the one doing wrong. Sin living in me that does it. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. We're going all the way to 25. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's a sin living in me that, <laughs> that does it. That's a very, very strong argument. I have discovered this principle of life, that what I want to do is... When I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. 
See, I love God's law. I love God. So it's not like I don't love God's law. You know, I, you know whenever I read this, I picture Paul on a stand, like in a witness box. I picture him making a defense for himself. Like it's not like I, see, yeah, see, I'm a really nice guy. It's not, it's, your lordship. You know, it's, it's just that, you know, I find myself, you know, not, you know, I'm you know, I mean, I really love God's law. Oh my heart. <laughs> Next verse. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death and the answer is in 25. I thank God the answer That's the line, oh, that's the line. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Sit down. But he, 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 he walks the argument a little bit further. He says, so you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law. Next. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Keep going. So now. This is where New King James says, therefore, there is now, stay in NLT. Don't let the chapter change, change the thoughts. So now, there's no condemnation for those who belong in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we have dealt with that Lord thing in verse 2. Next verse, verse 2. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin A.K.A. So it exposes our inability to live up to that standard. The more you try, the more you fail. That's why it said salvation, the sacrifice, it cannot be by effort. It has to be by perfection. I said this last week. Do you remember now? Effort cannot please God. Ever, ever. Your very best effort can't please God. God is offended at any form of effort. Any form of effort. Because it goes right back to disbelieving that Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient. Effort can't please God. It's either perfection or nothing. That's why the law itself will say he that is guilty of breaking one. Oh, I managed to keep 622. I broke one small one. It's not so major now. Only two fabrics I mix. In fact, the other fabric was just my headgear or my underwear. You have broken all. Polyester undies. Polyester shirt. Poly- you wear polyester. You're wearing jeans. You're wearing jeans or gyms. You want to wear, you wore khaki trousers. Better make sure everything you wore inside. You are khakified in and out or you cannot make heaven. You can't. You can't. You see, that's why it's very sad to be trying to make heaven. 
try. Be trying to make heaven. You. You make heaven. You make heaven. He that is guilty of breaking one. Deuteronomy 27, James quotes the same thing. He's guilty of breaking all of them. So it's not like distinction. A plus, A minus, B, C. Pass. You say, but I see bad. Two ones, second class upper. I see enter heaven, last, last. It's not by effort. It's not by effort. Are you here? Put it, put it up. Let's finish. Let's finish. Let's finish. Let's finish. So it goes, because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin and that leads to death. Next verse. The law of Moses was unable to save us. Because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. Tell your neighbor, God did what the law could not do. Can I help you today? You spoiled the law the day you believed it could save you. First Timothy 1.8 The law was good until the day you believed it can save you. First Timothy 1.8 I was going somewhere. But now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawful. Text, look at me. Is it lawful to expect the law to save you? The word, no mismo. Lawful means according to the rules. Are you playing by the rules? Their Christian, their religion, their Christianity. Are you playing by the rules when you expect the law? to save or is that the point where you made the good law bad and the holy law unholy and the just law unjust it is injustice to expect a law that cannot save to save it is evil to expect a law that cannot deliver to deliver it is ungodly to expect a law that cannot take away sin. To take away sin. It is therefore tantamount to witchcraft and diabolism. To keep God's people bound by something that by design does not have the power to save them. And I'm sorry but somebody has to say this. It was the law was doing fine before your involvement. The law was doing perfectly fine before we came in to try and use the law to do what it cannot do. We can't do it. And so the law becomes bad in your hand. The law becomes bad in the hand of the church. In the hand of religion. And unfortunately sometimes in the hand of New Testament preachers. 
But the law is good. Says a man who preaches grace. Because the law is good when it is used lawfully. And what is the rules of this engagement? Understand that this law cannot be engaged with for salvation. Cannot. That's you going against the rules. For what the law could not do. God did. Romans 8.3 NLT. The law of Moses was unable to save us. Because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body of his son, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And this is what the law could not This is what the law could not do. Now see verse 4. Romans 8, 4. When NLT. He did this. That the just requirement of the law. Would be fully satisfied for us. Who no longer follow our sinful nature. But instead. TPT, Romans 8.4, Romans 8.4 on the TPT. Romans 8.4, TPT. For God, so now, every righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled through the anointed one living his life in us. And we are free to live. Not according to our flesh, but by the dynamic power. Now, somebody will go, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but it's because you have never been able to keep the law that you're talking like this. First of all, let me lay it to you. No human being alive or dead has kept the entirety of the law. None. Because the moment you broke one, Oh, but pastor, you can't make such a blanket statement. There's people that are really pious and really holy and really sanctimonious. I mean sanctified and, and, and really, really, they are very close to God. Listen to me. Listen to me. Anybody that tells you he's close to God, run from him. That is a deep sounding nonsense. Because you know what? In your worst state as a son of God, in your worst state as a son of God, you are more valuable than somebody who is close to God because God is in you. This mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of
Are you listening to me? I'm not close to God. I am the residence. They can't mean close to God. So even the old pastor, you don't understand. These people are so close to God. People are so close. They are so pious. They are so holy. You can't possibly say that there's not anybody that can keep the whole law. You kept it. All of it. I'm coming for you. Acts 13 and 39. You kept it, right? Okay. You managed to keep all of the law while we are celebrating you and we are telling you you have done well. Go into Acts 13, 39 and see that it says, by him, Jesus, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So even after you have kept the law of Moses, you cannot be justified because neither is there salvation in any other. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. Romans 3, 20 and 28. Romans 3, 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Because this is what the law is good for. This is what the law is holy for. This is what the law is just for. The knowledge. That's the job of the law. That's the laboratory technician. That's the lab scientist that gives you diagnosis. If you had typhoid and they told you you had typhoid and you tested positive for typhoid, have they not done their job? Why are you trying to use the test result? in the lab by the lab scientist to treat the problem. When even a pharmacist is not allowed to treat. Even a pharmacist, trained pharmacist, who also did residency. Also did housemanship. Their school fees is just a third less than a medical doctor. In some schools, they are right up there next to each other. Mm -hmm. And yet the pharmacist can treat. The pharmacist only dispense medication that he or she has been trained to handle based on a doctor's recommendation coming off of the lab scientist findings. Now you now camp with the lab scientist and say, hmm? now only you, I know. <laughs> Even if the Bible does say so. So you have kept the law. You can keep it. It can't save you. Because it's not powerful enough to... It's not, it's not, it's not powerful. And hey, do you know how major your sin was? If you know how major your sin was, you will feel sorry for the law. 
you look at the law, you say, well done. <laughs> Even try. If you realize how major your sin was for past, present, and future, you send an offering with a bottle of wine to the law and say, I'm, I'm really sorry for ever trying to make you do what clearly is not in your power to do. I apologize for ever reposing faith in you when you don't have what it takes at any point to save me and you never claimed to be able to do so. Because the law has never claimed that it can save anybody. It's the church that needs to repent of the misguided faith they put in the nanny. Because that's what Paul describes the law as in Galatians 4. A nanny. To keep care of you until the owner of the house comes home. You apologize to the law. You are the one that has made the law a bad boy. Because the law has never claimed to be able to save you, even if you keep it. Romans 3, 21. Let's go all the way to 21. Therefore, NLT. But now, God has shown us a way to be made right with him. Talk with me. Without keeping the requirements of the law. Wait, 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 wait. Look at this one. As was promised. Moses wrote the law. Moses received the law. Moses gave the law. Moses lived by faith. Are you not stupid? Is something all wrong with you? Jesus comes and says, Moses wrote of me. Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Moses. Why did he not say by law, Moses? Moses received the law, put it aside, say, show me your glory. Received the, the law, yes. Law came by Moses, yes. He gave it to you, yes. And you are there running away from a mountain. Moses is on top. Do, do, do you remember? God is coming down on the mountain. It is falling. There's fire. There's cloud. All of Israel runs away. And the very mountain that is scattering. Moses is on the mountain. In fact, King James says in the mountain. God will speak to Moses as a man speaks to his friend. That's what the Bible says. That's why scripture says he made known his ways to Moses. And his acts to the children of Israel. That's why. Moses collected the act and gave you. Stayed with the way of the Lord. Be doing 
And that's why you are blaming Moses. No, it's because you did not imitate Moses. And that's why. You didn't imitate Moses to depart from the acts of the Lord and follow him into the way of the Lord. Moses wrote of me. So Moses wrote what he received it and kept it. So while people are fighting over this and trying to keep it, me. And when he stayed on the mountain, which God did Moses receive? Exodus 34. Which God did Moses see? Exodus 34 and verse 4. Exodus 34 and verse 4. So Moses chiseled out two tablets of stone, like the first ones. Early in the morning, this is what NLT, okay. He climbed Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and he carried the two stone tablets in his hand. Then the Lord came down and stood there with him and he, the Lord, called out his own name. That's why I said, when you say worship is not, is the only thing God cannot do for himself. Repent. I said it before many years. I've collected it, was eating it and put it. God worships himself nicely. He has no problem calling his own name. No, 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 please stay there, stay there. And he called out his own name, Yahweh. Keep going. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, the Lord. See the first thing he says when he says is the Lord. The first introduction. Does that sound like the law? Does that sound like the law? First attribute of Yahweh, the Lord, is the God of compassion and mercy. I am, he says, slow to anger. This is God speaking, you know. And I am filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. He says, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity. I forgive rebellion. I forgive sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. <laughs> I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even the children in the third and fourth generations. For the Lord has laid upon him the iniquities of us all for he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus we can say our past sins our present sins and our future sins and the sins of our unborn children to the 10th generation were taken away in the sacrifice of the Lamb of God that was slain Somebody shout glory! Listen, Jesus always made, God always made clear that one person sinning, everybody will suffer it. 
That's why we sinned. Even though we do not sin. It's Adam that sinned. So that's why Jesus came as a one of sacrifice. Combining all the generations. Combining all and he took it. So the law can't do that. Jesus did, God did what the law could not do. Are, are you here now? So when, where are we? When Romans 3, 20 something. 23. I'm trying to get to 28 so I can finish. And, and the, other, the other two is uh, Romans 3 where somewhere when NLT definitely okay 21. The end of 21. Okay. As was promised in the writings of Moses. What was promised? Start the verse again. What was promised? That God has shown us a way to meet right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. God had promised that this thing would come by faith and not by works. Who was this promise? first given to Adam Genesis 3 15 your seed will bruise his head his seed will bruise your heel will bite your heel you will bruise his head that's the first promise given that's the first indication given of salvation that's the first time the promise was offered that was what put a promise in play. That was what brought about a promise that could be sold to Abraham. What was the promise given to Abraham? In thy seed. Where was the word seed introduced? In Genesis chapter 3. The woman's seed. Are you here? And the woman, oh my God. The woman there was not Eve. How shall these things be? Seeing I know not a man. The Holy Spirit shall come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Such that the seed. Which you will bear. Will be the son of the most high God. That was the sign that was given in Isaiah. Chapter 7. He said this shall be unto you. For a sign. A virgin. Will conceive. The woman's seed who bruised his heel. And Abraham picks it. So Paul is arguing against that backdrop in Romans 8. And he says, as Moses in 22, Romans 3, 22, as promised, go back, 21, end of 21, as promised in the writings of Moses. Who wrote Genesis? How could Moses have written Genesis and had no foreknowledge of salvation? When he saw what he saw, how? By faith. You are the one that is trying to make the law do what the law was not designed to do. <laughs> are, you, are you hearing this? You are the one. Who wrote the book of Genesis. How did he write it? No. What do the scriptures say? All scripture. By inspiration. Holy men wrote as they were inspired. So how did Moses write Genesis? Of who? The Holy Spirit. So who wrote First, that salvation, justification, would not come by law. Who first wrote it? 
Moses and the writings of the prophet said. That's why Jesus can say Moses wrote of me. And you, are, you, you, you don't believe me because you don't believe Moses. So hear me all of you law proponents. I've said this before many times. If you sat down and read Genesis carefully, Exodus carefully, Leviticus, carefully. Deuteronomy, carefully. Numbers, carefully. By the time you finish, the Holy Spirit is in you. If you read, if you handle the law, the way the law was designed to be handled, the final bus stop is Christ. If you handle the law skillfully, all you will see is Christ. Moses knew it. He wrote it for you. You left what Moses knew and are following what Moses wrote. Moses lived by faith. Moses wrote of me. That's, that's instructive. Let's go on. 22. Romans 3, 22, NLT. 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. 23. I'm going all the way to read. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. The glory of God. I've explained that a few weeks ago. Keep going. Fall short of the glory. Yet God, in his grace... Freely makes us right in his sight. Freely. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. God presented Jesus. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows... That God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Keep going. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this. That's why I explained to you that the water did not come to destroy the earth. He came to save mankind. Now man no agree. The flood of Noah was a salvation plan. It was not a destruction plan. The fire and brimstone that came upon Sodom and Gomorrah was a salvation plan. It didn't start today. There's light in Goshen. There's darkness in Egypt. It didn't start today. It's a matter of whose house you were in at a particular time. You had an Israelite friend. You left Egypt to modern day Cairo. <laughs> you say, let me just branch Goshen and see my Israelite friend. You are there. You come out and you see darkness. Would you go back? So when Paul says, no matter who we are, does that make sense? 
you you had you had Israelites gossiping and saying, ah, this Moses that ran away and came back after 40 years has said that one I am that I am said that one angel of death will pass this night and you know they should kill lamb or goat and put the blood on their doorpost and that when the angel of death passes, when he comes and sees the blood, he will pass over and but everybody that does not have the blood, their firstborns will die. And then you now see this Egyptian looking at his Israelite neighbor killing the lamb and he too kills the lamb. He sees them put the blood in a pail. He puts his own blood in a pail. He seeing them go out. He will go out. He will send his child. Go and see <laughs> how they are putting the thing. You know? And then Tokwe will come back and say, Daddy, they, they cross it like this and cross it like that. He will say like that. Daddy, 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 not like that. Daddy will meet me. I will carry Tokwe up. <laughs> Give him the brush. Oh yeah, put it there. That's the way he saw it. He will put it. That's how he saw it. He said, yes. Oh yeah, let's go inside. The angel passing did not distinguish by Israelite or Egyptian. Distinguished by blood. If you are from Stephen Divine Project's family that will ditch type and shadow when they see substance. You will not even bother doing that. If you are Stephen, you will call your brother. We don't even have time to sacrifice. Let's just go to Israelite house and enter inside. Nah, man. I don't have time to buy goats. I don't have money to spend. Why should I do my own blood when another blood can do for all of us? Hmm? If the blood of the Israelites will suffice, if one blood will suffice, why give extra blood when we can all come under the covering of the one blood? We are going to Shalom's house. And they went to an Israelite's house to save money. Because as long as there's blood on the doorpost, the blood was not checking. Wait, oh, inside this house, who is here? Who sinned? Who did not sin? Who is an Israelite? Who is an Egyptian? As long as I see the blood. Pass over. So the angel of death came to preserve life. If I see the blood, I will pass over. He didn't come to kill. He didn't come to kill. The people die, yes. Why? Because they were outside the ministry of the angel. Study the scriptures. God always comes to save. Whoever is not saved was a casualty of their own disbelief. 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 Every time. Every time. Whoever was a casualty of God's judgment happened to be a casualty because of their own disbelief. Their own unbelief. So their guilt is upon them. 
But every time God showed up, why did Jonah get angry? You now, just one small message I will preach. You save all of Nineveh. Assyrians that have been troubling us for, for years. This is not you, softy. And I repeat, that's why Christians don't let God really fight their battles. Because while you are gingering for vengeance, he has poured mercy. And mercy spoils your show. I need, to fin- I need to really get to 28 and finish. Where are we now? 25. He, he, he went over the sins that were previously committed. So that's why in that era, he kept coming and saving. He kept trying to save. He kept trying to save until the day he will save. He kept trying to save. He will come in many dimensions, many modes. Keep trying to save. Keep trying to save. And people are not paying attention. Every time he came, he came to save. Every time. Every time he came, he came to save. He was looking ahead to include them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just and he makes the sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Keep going. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? Tipity. Where then is room for boasting? Do our works bring God's acceptance? Not at all. It was not our works of keeping the law. But our faith in his... NLT, same verse. Can we boast then that we have done anything to accept it by God? No, because our acquittal is not based... On obeying the law. It is based on faith. 28. It is on this strength. That we now say we are made right with God. Through faith. So why have you troubled the law? Why? It was not not bad enough that your sin was a tormentor of the law. You now take what your sin already dealt a bad blow to and now trying to make what your sin could not handle to save you from sin. Your sin stops law in its tracks because without law, your sin can't do anything. Once the law was given, sin wakes up and overtakes the law. I've shown you today. Your sin overtakes the law. You now apply the same law to gain mastery over sin. How does that make sense? The law was not given to save. The law has never claimed to save. So even after you've kept it, it can do nothing for you. I have to pick this up next Sunday. I am, I am probably, I don't know, man, maybe like under halfway. Because we then, we then explore the law's righteous purpose in entrapping man. Mm-hmm. Yes, because if the law is good, it's good when used lawfully. So the law setting you free is the law being a witch. The law being giving you salvation is the law 
been bad. The law giving you a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light is the law telling God God is stupid because now the law tells God, I don't, don't leave Jesus. I got this. That's the law becoming bad. At that point, the law that gave you liberty is unholy. If indeed the law could give you liberty, the moment the law gave you liberty, the law became unholy, unjust, and bad. Because that was not what the law was designed for. The law was designed as a jailer. Because you won't appreciate freedom until you have been in jail. So we send the jailer first. When you are jailbroken, you will appreciate it. So the law in his goodness was given to entrap man. The law in his justice was to let you know that you know what, you have been arrested already. You have a charge sheet against you. You're going to be arraigned in court. And until then, you're not, you're not, you're not, you cannot be bailed. Yeah? Your application for bail has been denied. You are a flight risk, you know, you are a problem to the society, you are a menace. We can't guarantee what you will do until your hearing. Yes. So we have to remand you in custody yes, until either you have a bail hearing or your hearing is brought up before the court is tried and a verdict is reached. Until then, we remand you in custody. Yes. And the law has the right to do so. If you are a flight risk and you were released on bail, the law erred. If we know you can jump bail and we give you your international passport, the law erred. So the law is good when it assesses your risk nature and remands you in custody until. If we are going to be bailed, you must bring us two sureties. They must be civil servants, level 17 and above. They must have houses with the C of O in Abuja. And they must put a bail to the sum of a bond of X amount of money. 50 million, 60 million, 80 million. If you don't meet this bond, you're not going anywhere. It doesn't matter who you are. If the day finishes and you have not brought your, your sureties, you will sleep in this hell. The law doesn't give a toss. Perfect your bail conditions, you shall be released. Once your bail conditions have been perfected, the law that ushered what those conditions were has no right to keep you in custody. Because the law has perfected your bail conditions. You cannot be kept. If you are released, you cannot be rearrested. How much more when you are discharged and acquitted? How much more? What, what right then, what right does the law have to catch and bind you after the person that perfected your release has paid all the price required for you? Can you see how stupid the argument for balance is? How do you balance the emancipator with the jailer? How do you balance who bound you with who freed you? Why do you insinuate that every day I wake up while I'm celebrating the person that paid for my release, 
I should go to Afokang and sweep the prison and feed the prisoners every day. Because if I don't do that, I will become impetuous, I will become irresponsible, and I will trust the person that set me free too much. Does this sound like a logical argument? When they, when they call assembly of inmates in the prison, even though I'm an outpatient, <laughs> you know, ex-inmate, but whenever they call assembly in the prison, I have to show up because I cannot just feel like I am not a prisoner anymore. That's you being proud. How can you, how dare you be so proud? Because they set you free. Because somebody came and spoke for you. And they gave you government, governor's pardon. Which means you cannot be arrested anymore. So you are now becoming proud because you know that you cannot be rearrested because governor or the president gave you presidential pardon. You now become proud. My friend, come and be answering this place in the prison, my friend. Keep your feet on the ground. That's what we insinuate every time we champion the cause of what we call balance. It's a demonic doctrine. Yes, sir. I will end where I started. Galatians 5.1. You see the argument now? Therefore stand fast in the liberty for which Christ made us free. Don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. If it's the only thing you do, do it well. Resist the hold of the law. Resist it. Resist it. Refuse it. Stand fast. Stand fast. That's the fight of faith. The moment you find yourself or you find yourself in a suggestion of doing you are falling from grace. That's what Paul says in Galatians. I, th- it's, I think it's Galatians 5. Hey, 4. Galatians 5, 4. Same Galatians 5. Yeah, start from verse 1. You know, we, we stopped in verse 1. But stand fast, therefore, in the liberty for which Christ made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Verse 2. Indeed, I, Paul, say this to you, that you, if, you have, if you became circumcised, if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. In other words, if you fulfill the requirements of the law, by being circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Verse 3. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor. Because the moment you start doing one thing the law requires, you keep all. When you finish keeping all, let's talk again. And let me show you how all of it is dead works. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law. That is when you have fallen so it turns out it's not when a man sins that he falls from grace. It's when he turns to the law that cannot save. Because you're falling away from the only thing, the only person that can save. I'll pick this up next week. But you have heard enough to know that your liberty is not a mistake or a mirage. Oh, yes. Your freedom is not a liber- it's not it's not a mirage. Your liberty is not a mirage. It is a thing. It is a thing, and it's something you stand for fast in and guard. You guard with all your might. Christ has redeemed us. Galatians three thirteen from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us, as is written, cursed is he that hangs on the tree, that the blessing of Abraham. 
I come upon the Gentiles, verse 14, who believe. We thank you for the blessing. Will somebody give God praise for the blessing? So you see, the law was never our enemy. Contrary to how it's, it's, it's been presented. The Lord did its job and he did it well. You can't keep fighting your primary school teacher. And force your primary school teacher to teach you in university. And to teach you primary school syllabus. Because you want to balance your education. It's how you work in tertiary education. You will lose sight of primary school. So, you are, in, you are sat in. You do your thesis for your PhD. And they walk in and then you have a kindergarten class. Let's so, stay in solidarity with where you came from. Father, we thank you. Thank you that we see the glorious purpose of the law and what it enables you to do in us by the giving of your son. Hallelujah. I'm going to give God praise. Amen. Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at while the church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.